Well, uh, last week we took a look at some random verses in the Gospel of Mark. So I want to ask that you look back at that again today. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. We looked at uh, the first one or two of those. I want to look at the last two this morning. But let me read all four of them. We said last week, these don't actually connect. It's just kind of like uh, Mark is remembering different statements that Jesus made repeatedly throughout his ministry. And so he just kind of uh, groups about four of them together here. And he says, uh, for instance, in verse 21, And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? So we've read that in, in Matthew's gospel, and it actually is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel. But it's like Mark just remembered that, and he, he, he puts this out here. We talked about that last week. And then the next verse, is verse 22, says, For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. Another interesting verse. Again, it's repeated in, in Matthew and in Luke. But it's uh, in, in different places. It's uh, kind of in a context. Just a couple of thoughts on this is that truth is always the truth. And it can never be hidden. No matter how hard somebody tries to hide the truth, eventually it will actually surface as the truth. There are people all across the world today who deny, for instance, that God is real. There are people who deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. But the Bible says there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So no matter how we try to hide it, no matter how we try to deny it, there was coming a time that truth will be revealed as truth. So also has kind of a practical idea here that nothing we hide in our life will always remain hidden. Just because people think that they have hidden something in their life, this verse teaches that ultimately uh, truth about our own self will come out. So that's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? All right, yeah, and everybody says amen. All right, all right. Uh, now, things that are confessed, things that are forsaken, the Bible says that God removes those from us as far as the east is from the west, casts them into the depths of the sea. They'll never be remembered again. But those things that are not confessed, then uh, they will eventually be, uh, be revealed. That's, uh, like I said, a scary thought. But then I want us to look at verse uh, 23, and Jesus kind of says uh, in the middle of, of, of all four of these, really listen up. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, just kind of a reminder, you better pay attention to these things. And then verse 24, this is the focus really of my message this morning. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Aren't these kind of cryptic verses? I mean, when you just read them like this, it doesn't, it, does it kind of, you know, some things you read in the Bible say, man, that's absolutely clear. I get it. But some of these, it's kind of like, mm, I kind of get it, but I'm not sure. Uh, 
kind of a little bit cryptic verse. But he says, take heed what you hear. Again, pay attention because the measure that you use to measure out, that's the measure that will be used to give back to you. So if I'm, uh, for instance, if, I, if I'm working with a bunch of grain and I'm giving people a, a, a measure of grain, he says if you use a teaspoon to give, then a teaspoon is what will be used to give back to you. If you use a, 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 a quart jar, then you'll get it back in quart jars. If you use a great big shovel, then it'll come back to you in shovels full. Now, how do we usually, how do we usually interpret and apply that verse, especially Baptist preachers? We usually, what? Tithing, all right, we usually uh, apply it in money. You know, whatever you give, it'll be given back to you, so therefore give a lot, give a lot, you know. And, it, I, okay, I'll admit it can, it can make that application as well, but I don't think that's primarily the application that uh, Jesus is talking about here. And I think that it's important for us to understand that what we get in life is somewhat determined by what we give. Now, that's true, and not just in the area of money. I, okay, I'll admit, you know, it can, it can apply to giving financially. You know, give, and it'll be given back to you. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, he's given some principles for, for financial giving. And he said that if you, if you sow a little, you'll reap a little. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. And he's talking about money there. But I think this applies to a lot of other things other than money. The idea is that what we get will be determined by what we give. And I, wonder, I thought of two or three things that, that I'd like to apply that to. One is with... Uh, with Bible study. A lot of people say, I just wish I knew more about the Bible. I wish I understood the Bible better. And I want to ask, well, how much have you put into studying the Bible? How much have you put in? Do, do you spend any time doing more than just reading it? And by the way, how many of you are, well, I won't even ask, but some of you I know are reading through the Bible this year, some of you are you're doing your, um, you started out in January the 1st, and you're reading like three or four chapters a day, and I just want to encourage you because you're about to get to the middle of Exodus, right? And so for about the next eight days or ten, you're going to be reading some really detailed stuff about instructions for and the building of the tabernacle. And you're going to have a tendency to think, what in the world is this talking about? Well, if you will get a little Bible study 
aid of some kind, something like Henrietta Mears' book, What the Bible is All About, one of the very best books I've ever read uh, to, to help you study the Bible, or and there, there are many others, Haley's Bible Handbook, and there are others, but if you'll get those, you'll find that all of those what looks like kind of boring details actually have spiritual applications and meaning and purpose. So, uh, here's my original question. If you want to understand more about what the Bible means, you have to put something into your study of the Bible. And I know people who have maybe a Bible beside their bedside. They have a Bible on their coffee table. But if you ask them, how much do you study that? They would probably say, well, I, I read it every once in a while, okay? Not even asking how much you read it. How much do you study the Bible? And I'm just saying that this principle is true for Bible study. Whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And so if you say, well, I just don't understand much about the Bible, then I would ask, do you want to understand more about the Bible? Most people say, yeah, I do. Then study to show yourself approved a workman under God who doesn't need to be ashamed. Uh, Study the word. Put some time into it. And it involves reading, obviously, but it generally involves more than just reading your Bible. So uh, I would highly recommend Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher up in Chicago back 80 years ago, and she wrote a book called What the Bible is All About, and it is one of the, it's actually set up where you can use it with your daily Bible readings, and it will help you understand what the Bible is all about, and so You get it, put some time into it, and you'll get more out of it. Now, I want to apply this same principle to worship. Um, A lot of people come to church, just like you're here today. And what is is this service called? It's a worship service, right? It's called a worship service. So it should be a time... When we join together corporately, all together, to worship God. Now, what does worship look like? What is, what is worship? The word, the English word worship comes from the old English word worth-ship. In other words, we worship that which we think has the greatest worth. The Greek word for worship actually means to kneel. It's the idea of 
of being so overwhelmed with something's value and something's greatness that it just kind of forces you to your, to your knees almost. And the Bible says, come, let us worship and bow down. And let us, what's the next word? Uh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Now, I don't think we have to kneel to worship, but in our heart, worship is an expression of something's greatness and glory and magnificence. And, and uh, I've told you before, the first time I ever saw the Grand Teton Mountains out in, uh, where are they, uh, Wyoming, out in Wyoming, I was just totally overwhelmed. I almost had to stop my car. It literally took my breath away out <gasps> to see something so immense and so amazing. What's something you've seen that, that did that for you? What's something that just totally overwhelmed you? The Grand Canyon, which I haven't been to yet, so I hope to go this next year, actually. Everybody says that, okay? What else? It's something else that you've seen. What? When Alexis came home, Elizabeth came home when she was born, and you saw your little baby sister, and you, <gasps> it made you just want to kneel down and be, I bet you almost cried, didn't you? <laughs> Crying and laughing at the same time. That's great. All right, Elizabeth, you're greatly loved. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. All right, now I can say the same thing when, when we brought our kids home from the hospital. What? Butterflies, is that what you said? Yeah, to see, I was out in a place in uh, East Texas, I mean West Texas. It was during a season of the year where this whole what do you call a, not a herd or a flock, what, what's a swarm of butterflies. I mean, really millions of them, literally millions. And they just came across, and we were overwhelmed. I said, wow, look at the beautiful, beautiful butterflies. Well, all of us know something of what it's like to, to be in the presence of something that just takes our breath away, just overwhelms us. And listen, that's what a worship time with God is supposed to do. But how, why is it that generally speaking, when people come to a worship service, there's not a sense of being overwhelmed. There's not a sense of being uh, uh, in awe of the greatness of God. And part of it is because we don't put into our worship very much, and therefore we don't get out of our worship very much. When we gather together, now this worship certainly should be private as well, but when we gather together as a congregation to worship, we should leave having received 
a great amount of encouragement and uh, uh, a sense of uh, amazement. But if we don't give worship, give much to worship, we don't get much from worship. Is that making sense? Does everybody understand what I'm saying about talking about? Uh, when I was in college, I was a cross-country runner, and my sophomore year, we had a race up in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was on a Saturday morning, but we were going to spend the night in Nashville that night. So our coach got us some free tickets. I guess they were free. They were free to me anyway, uh, to go to a, a college football game. And Vanderbilt was playing the Citadel. Now, I know, Kevin, you know both of those teams, don't you? Vanderbilt and the Citadel. But I'd never heard of the Citadel. And I really, I'd heard of Vanderbilt, but I really didn't care anything about Vanderbilt. So we went to that college game, and I'm sitting there bored out of my head. Because neither team was doing very well, actually. In fact, I believe the final score was 0-0. Zero to zero. But I'm watching this game, and I'm thinking, man, I'd rather be somewhere else. This is, I don't know either of these teams. And then, but then I glanced over at the side, and over on this side, the Vanderbilt side, people are going crazy. And every time Vanderbilt would uh, not score but get a first down or, or, or maybe not fumble the ball or something like that, everybody go, woo-hoo, you know. And I think, well, this is amazing. I look over on this side, the Citadel side, same thing's going on. And it hit me all of a sudden, these people have something invested in these teams. They know the players. They are a student at that school. They, they actually care about what's happening out there on the field. And some of them had probably paid money to come. I had paid nothing. I didn't even really want to be there. And there I was watching two teams I knew nothing about and didn't want to know anything about go back and forth up and down the field. And I'm thinking, that's the way it is in church sometimes. There are people who come to church and they have a lot invested of their their heart invested in it. They come loving the Lord, loving the people that they're loving the Lord with, and they get a lot out of worship. There are others who come, hadn't cost them anything. They don't really care much, maybe don't even want to be there. I'm sure that's not true of any of you here today, but there are some people who come to church, they'd really rather not be there, and so they leave and they say, well, I didn't get much out of that. In fact, when you leave church on Sunday, it might be kind of fun for uh, you to ask each other, what did you get out of that today? So Susan says to Raynard on the way home, what did you get out of that today? You do? Okay. <laughs> 
And Rainer said, oh, man, how, I got so much out of that today. God just showed me some things. God helped me see some things. And, man, I, my love for the Lord is even greater. And Susan says, mine too, you know, because they put something into it, and thus they get something out of it. So I, I don't know, you know, what does it look like when you leave and you say, I really got a lot out of the worship service today? What does that look like? It might mean you learned something, but learning is not worship. It might mean that you uh, enjoyed it, but enjoying something is not all there is to worship. So I would think that when you've had a genuine worship experience, you would leave saying, I see God as greater than I saw him before. I see Jesus as more satisfying than I saw him before. And our focus is drawn to the greatness of God and the satisfying character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's worship. Now, uh, I read this last week. Somebody said there are some wrong ways you can worship. One, if you come to worship just to get then it would tend to make you critical. If you, if you come to church saying, uh, so this is the Tracy and Stephanie and Brother Nick show, then I would think that you set yourself up for the possibility of giving credit to or praise to the people on the platform. And by the way, what is Stephanie called? She's called a worship leader, which means she is worshiping, but her purpose is to lead all of us to worship. And so if you were to come just for what you're going to get out of it, you might have a tendency to become critical. You might have a tendency to evaluate the people on the stage. You might say, well, I didn't get much out of Brother Nick's message this morning. And that would be, okay, there's some of them I preach I don't get much out of too. But, uh, but the point is not, piano or the music or even the preaching the point is that everything is designed to cause us to want to worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our God our maker our redeemer our savior and to be able to say he is great he is great and uh, if you leave saying uh, something about us being great, 
we have failed and you've missed the point. I mean, not that I think that happens necessarily, but it, but if it did, we would have all missed the point. If you come with no expectation, you just get bored. Have you ever been to something that you really, really anticipate, highly anticipate, and you thought, I'm going to get a lot out of this? When we went to the to uh, Dallas Baptist University the night that the Gettys were singing there, I could hardly wait to get there. I was so excited because I love their music. I love their songs. I love their spirit. And I kept thinking, hurry up, hurry up, let's get started. And I tell you, I was not disappointed. I really, really received a lot because I gave a lot in the way of expectation. So, again, I would say when you come to church, come saying, God, I am expecting you, not necessarily the pastor, not necessarily the people, but I'm expecting you to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing in my heart. And so if you come with no anticipation or expectation, you'll be bored. If you come with no preparation, then uh, you won't get much out of it either. How do you prepare your heart to worship? Uh, if I were to uh, decide I want to run a marathon, I'm not going to decide that, but if I were to decide I want to run a marathon, what would I do? Would I run one the next day? Probably not. I would start training, and I would start preparing. I would start trying to get my endurance and, and so forth and my mind and everything ready to run that marathon. I would, I would have a lot of preparation. And look, the same thing is true with coming to worship God. We prepare our hearts to meet with the Lord. And we do that by meditating on his greatness, his majesty, his wonder, his grace, his love. And as we do that, then when we come together, that which we have given is also that which we gain. So, uh, did all that make sense? Okay. Well, it did to me, and uh, but of course, it doesn't always mean it does to anybody else. But uh, but but I've thought so much about this week. What what would we like to see in the way of worship? Uh, Stephanie, think about that for a second. What when when you lead the people in worship? What do you hope to see? Anything in particular? Just 
Okay. Amen. All right. So, so it's an idea that, that people are not just doing something because they've been asked to do it, but because it's just flowing out of their heart. Just, just worship is there. Uh, and I've said so many times, I love to hear you sing because I really believe the Lord loves to hear us sing. I believe God listens expectantly, attentively, interestingly when we gather together and we sing. And I know some people say, well, but we sang a song this morning I I didn't know. How many of you would say there was one song this morning that I didn't even know? Anybody here? Okay, two or three. All right. Uh, And that's all right because when I hear a song, especially if the words are on the screen that I haven't heard before, I read the words even if I can't sing the words. And then I worship with the truth of that. And uh, so what I, I I love to see people who are fully engaged, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, they're fully engaged. You know, back, uh, I grew up in a, in a church where people didn't ever clap their hands, and they didn't, certainly didn't ever raise their hands, you know, and, uh, but actually, did you know that in the Bible, lifting hands to the Lord is actually something that is commended, even commanded a time or two, and the idea of people lifting their hands, and I know if you grew up in a church like I did, you just feel a little self-conscious. It's like, you know, the way Baptists lift their hands, is we just we kind of do it this way, you know, kind of, or maybe <laughs> we we feel a little awkward, you know, lifting our hands. Did you know that in the Bible, lifting hands, or not just in the Bible, all everywhere, lifting your hands is a sign of surrender. It's I'm, I'm giving up, and I am giving to you all that I am and have. So when you think about lifting your hands and surrender, that's wonderful. Also, lifting your hands is an, uh, an attitude of expectation. When somebody says, here, I have something to give you, and you lift your hand. You raise your hand to receive it. It's also an indication of of affection. I can remember uh, when my kids were small, I loved it when I would come home from work and they would come running, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And they wanted me to pick them up and spin them around or play with them and hug them. And I think that's, that's what lifting hands means. Now, again, uh, like Stephanie just said, I, I could say, okay, everybody lift your hands, and everybody would look around and make sure everybody else was doing it, and then, and then everybody would do it, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a freedom that if you want to lift your hands, you, you don't feel inhibited by it, and you don't feel uh, like, well, I wonder if somebody's looking. You just are doing it before the Lord. You're loving Jesus, and uh, 
So I've probably said enough about that uh, now, but I just uh, I do want to encourage you to give something, not just hope to get something, because this verse says what you measure will be measured back to you. Give, and it will be given to you. And the more you give, the more you receive. And then the next verse, verse 25, kind of uh, uh, builds on that. It says, for whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So, uh, again, the idea here is it's the, the law, what I call of gain or loss. What, what is it that coaches often say to, to students or to, to players that have some ability and they want to say to them, you know, if you'll use that ability, you'll get more ability. It'll get better. But if you don't use it, you'll what? Yeah, use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. That's really what this verse is saying. You, whatever you have, if you use it, then it will actually increase. But whatever you have, if you don't use it, then even what you have will gradually be taken away from you. That's true with knowledge. Study, again, knowledge. If we, uh, if we have some knowledge... We can gain more knowledge and will gain more knowledge. It's true with effort or strength. It's true with skill. You ever had a, a skill that you were pretty good at and you went several years without using that skill? And when you tried to use it again, it just it wasn't there. So that the, what he's saying here is, Whatever God has given to you, put it into practice. Use it. Use it. And if you use it, you'll actually increase. You'll actually get better at it. And again, that's, that's true with any kind of uh, um, athletic skill. If you, uh, I mean, there are some people who seem to just have natural ability, but for most people, it is something that they develop they build they, uh, again when I was in college and went out went, I wanted to play some kind of sport I'd always been involved in sports in high school and I wanted to play some kind of sport and I went to uh, uh, we didn't have a football team this college I went to I really never was any good at basketball I, I, I couldn't dribble and I couldn't pass and I couldn't shoot so that kind of eliminated me from uh, basketball uh, uh, baseball, uh, all the guys that played play baseball there were there on scholarship. So I thought, well, what could I do? And then somebody said, well, what about cross country? And I said, well, I don't even know what that is. So they said, well, let's take you and I'll introduce you to Coach Rose, our cross country coach. So I went to him and so I said, I'd like to play cross country. <laughs> and he said, listen, son, you don't play cross country. You run cross country. And uh, so I thought, well, that's, I believe I could do that. And uh, uh, I mean, the first few weeks of practice, I really thought I was going to die. 
And, uh, but the coach kept saying, look, if you have any ability, it will get better and better over the, the more you, the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. And I found that to be true. By my second year, I was able to do pretty well in cross country. But that's just as true in spiritual disciplines as well. Use it. If you have ability to teach, then teach. Put it into practice. Whatever gift, whatever skill, whatever ability you have, put it into practice. And the more you use it, the more it will increase. But if you don't use it, then even that which you have will go away. So my admonition to all of us today is to put into use everything that God has given to you. And when you come to worship, let your worship be an outflow of what you've already been doing all week long. And I guarantee you, if you come to church on Sunday and you've not been worshiping the Lord during the week, you will not get much out of, quote, church. Because what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. So I encourage you, even this next week, spend time in God's Word. Study, pray, worship. And when you gather, when we gather together as a group of those who have loved the Lord, served the Lord, worshiped the Lord all week, it will be a spontaneous overflow as we come together. Any questions? Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you have set it up in such a way that even if we have just a tiny little bit, that if we will give it to you, then you will give back to us an even greater amount. And that if we will use what you have provided, that you will multiply it, even as you did with the loaves and the fish and, and whatever spiritual gifting is ours. I pray that we will use it so that we won't lose it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.